kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of Auntie Nanny for actually, uh, welcome to February as well. And uh, hi, Thomas, how are you? And um, with me this evening is the peppy and vivacious Miss Jeannie, Jeannie K. How are you this evening, Jeannie? <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> hi, Jan, how are you? I'm great. Uh, and the best producer money can't buy because I still don't pay him. Very, how are you this evening, Very? I'm good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, getting hit by those named storms now, one after another, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Every couple of days, new storm. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, winter. You 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 live near the coast of Scotland, don't you? Uh, no, I live about the furthest you can get from the sea in Scotland, but that's <laughs> well, not very how far. far is it? If you got in the car and drove to the shore, how long would it take you? Well, it's a bit odd here because... That's right, your roads odd, are all in between. Up. No, no, we're between two <laughs> river valleys. Where Stirling sits is on the tidal point of the Forth. And the Forth estuary is huge, so that kind of counts as sea. So that's only five, six miles away. But the actual open water is probably a couple of hours drive. Very. It's not far. Very. very. <laughs> yes. If I got in a car mm -hmm. and had someone drive me, even on the highway, yeah. it would take eight hours for me to reach the East Coast. Yeah. Okay, Jeannie wins for being the furthest inland. Yeah. But <laughs> Scotland isn't very wide, you see. This is the problem. Yeah, but and the, the main problem with our storms... Yeah. The main problem with the storms is, on one side of us is the Atlantic... And on the other side's the North Sea, so you get well, Siberian-type yeah, storms coming from the east, yeah, and Atlantic just, storms just coming from it. the west. <laughs> stuff it, dude! You live that close to the sea, and wonder why you're getting winter storms. This, this, Jan, Jan, do you do you get hurricanes, Jan? Oh my, yes. Okay, where do you live? Uh, about a mile from the ocean. Okay, see, there, there are trade-offs to this. Now, like, I'm looking at houses in Tennessee, right? 
So I'm looking and I'm like, okay, well, if it doesn't have a storm shelter, I'll just buy my husband a tractor and my husband will dig me a, a storm shelter. Because if you're going to live there, the chances of you seeing a tornado at some point in your life are, you know, relatively good. Yeah. Um, I lived through one, but I lived through one down here, which you don't expect uh, them. <laughs> I uh, I actually took cover um, with a bunch of people under an overpass in Dallas, Texas, um, where Interstate 30 and 635 meet, mm -hmm. um, to not get scooped up by a tornado. Um, <laughs> I was actually in Reunion Tower one time. That's that big stupid ball you see in all the Dallas skyline photos. Yeah. It's, it's like the CN Tower. You know, it's it's a big ball. It's just, just yeah, right up in this elevator, really fucking high. And I watched a tornado coming from Waco. And I'm like, you know, chances are that thing's going to dissipate before it gets here. But if it doesn't, do I want to be 100 stories in the air? I think no. <laughs> <laughs> I like your hamster bread very. Yes, yes, it's. <laughs> Bakers uh, are definitely on something. Yeah. yeah. Who the, Isn't that who, adorable? Yeah, but no, 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 Jan. <laughs> there's something seriously wrong about that. Oh, no, no, no. What's, what's, what's seriously wrong is the bakery that does human body parts. Yeah. That's, that's something they're seriously wrong with. Cute little hamsters, not so much. It's no different than the little peeps people buy at Easter. Yeah, but those stupid peeps don't actually look like critters and that that hamster bread looks like real live little hamster oh looking up at you i need to get you the human body part bakery i need to get you like the video of that that's just freaky because that that stuff yeah it looks like dismembered human bodies it's really kind of uh gross okay has anybody looked through the show notes does anybody have a favorite i'm like i'm shiny this shit right off the bat <laughs> well, because Barry's getting hit with winter storms. I'm sorry, Barry. Yeah. I just figured I would ask because for me, for me, the winter storm thing's not an issue. Because yeah, you live in one of the most beautiful countries in the world, and I'm jealous. So there's you have to take that into account. Yeah, we get bad weather in the winter. That's it. It's, yeah, but it it's, all the, just... it's all the younger people who are like, "Oh my God, it's a storm!" It's like, yeah, we've been having them. <laughs> As long as anyone remember. But, but, he, but he, he actually made a good point. You said that it wasn't until recently that the government started naming these things. Yeah. And you're right. Before it used to just be, oh, it was a hurricane. Oh, there's a storm. A tropical yeah. storm, a cyclone, a thunderstorm, a snowstorm. Yeah. <laughs> so by naming it, they make it an event. Yes. Whether it's an event or not. And, you know, I don't know. So nobody's got a favorite, so it's not going to matter to you if I start with the USDA story? Not at all. At, at the very bottom. Okay. I'm still scrolling, guys. Okay. USDA bans gay Georgia. The U.S. Department of Agriculture rejected a Georgia cattle farmer's application for a special interstate transport license because his address contained a banned word. What word could be so offensive? Gene lives in gay Georgia. Now, no one's got a problem coming to gay Georgia, said King. I don't have a problem living in gay Georgia, but the USDA's got a problem with gay Georgia. Gay Georgia was founded in 1882, incorporated in 1907, and named after William F. Gay. About 100 people live in the community about an hour south of Atlanta. 
Twice a year, they organize a popular festival once referred to as the Gay Fair. Now it's known as the Cotton Picking Festival. <clears throat> King admitted to Fox 5 I-Team reporter Randy Travis, the name can be confusing in conversations. I have gay friends here in gay Georgia. No, not in gay Georgia. You have gay friends outside of gay, outside of gay, yeah. But no friends of gay Georgia in the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Earlier this month, Gene applied for a special ID through the USDA called a premises number that allows him to buy and sell cattle across state lines. He completed the form and called to check on his status. She said, it's kicking it out, saying that there's an offensive word and it won't accept your application, King said. What could be so offensive? The holdup, according to a government email about Gene's application, was city contains a banned word. The USDA emailed back with a workaround, changed Gene's hometown on the application from gay to bay. And I said, no, I don't want to submit it as Bay, Georgia. King said he told the government worker on the phone, I want to submit it as gay, Georgia, because that's where I live. And she said, do you want a number or not? He got his number, and then the USDA manually changed his city back to gay. I said, ma'am, this is ridiculous. In a statement, the USDA said they created a database of words with bad connotations because they worried people would try to sabotage an earlier animal ID registration system. That was in 2004. They promised... A future upgrade will ensure this will no longer be an issue. The USDA would not provide us with a list of those so-called bad words or who decided the word gay belonged on that list. But the tale of this gay Georgia cattle rancher has a happy ending. Gene got his premises number and his out for his and his out-of-state cows. And no matter what the federal government says, they never took his pride. My name is Gene King. I live in gay Georgia. That's G-A-Y, not B-A-Y. What in the holy fuck? <laughs> Facebook do that to people all the time. <laughs> oh, here's a good one. If there's a bar in gay, they could serve gay. They could. Well, yeah, but they could be called the gay bar. Yeah. Oh god. Because you know, we've talked about it before. One of the best rums in the world is Mount Gay. So mm -hmm. yeah, you could have gay drinks in the gay bar. <laughs> yeah. In gay Georgia. Yeah. That's seriously stupid, though. That's the government. But that is the government the... in a fucking nutshell. It. Oh my. I'll say it's not just it's not just government. Facebook have been doing that. Have been getting into trouble with stuff like that for years, the, refusing the, to I, let people have accounts with certain but, names in the place names. It's but, crazy. But the Amish in Pennsylvania don't get their mail banned. <laughs> okay. What? bad Amish word are they going to offend the government with? No, the whole town is is uh, fornication. Um, <laughs> what what the hell is the name of the town? Yeah, no, there's a whole Amish town that's... that's a, intercourse? Yeah, Intercourse. That's the name of the town. Intercourse, Pennsylvania. It's actually a real place. Been there. Um, I, I, okay. <laughs> Whatever. You, I know. You would think that the federal government would know what fucking towns. <laughs> I don't. I think they know. I just think they don't care. And when you get a, a federal worker on the phone who has no threat of being fired, they don't give a fuck either. They just do what the computer tells them to. It's just dumb. It's, it's, it's wasn't it dumb. in somewhere in Austria or something? There's that town that changed its name back to the spelling that meant foreigners thought it was a swear word. Yes. Yeah. I can't remember the name of it now. <laughs> Weirdly. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was something racist or sexual or something. 
And they changed the signs so it didn't, you know, look so bad. And then the locals <laughs> all rebelled and got them to change yep. it all back. <laughs> um, and and in, uh, I guess, news, the federal debt hits nineteen trillion. Yay! Uh, yep. Um, as of Monday, we're nineteen trillion dollars in debt. So there's that. As of Friday, the total federal government's debt stood at nineteen point oh one three trillion. Of that, thirteen point seven trillion is debt held by the public, and the rest is internal government borrowing, including IOUs. You know the stuff that they put in your um, oh social security accounts. The government left in social security trust fund over the last three decades. Nice, huh? No. Don't worry about the economy. Things are going fucking swimmingly. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. The The debt's getting bigger, but the rich people are still getting any of their profits. Yeah, but... And that's why the debt's but, getting bigger. Right, but there's... Have you noticed that the, the, the pyramid... Okay. If we live in a, in a system of inverted totalitarianism, right, the pyramid's at the bottom. Yeah. Right. And you've got all the corporations and stuff at the top. And, and the bottom is all the little people trying to balance all this fucking shit on their back. Um, the number of really wealthy people at the top is getting like smaller and smaller. Where it used to be 57, now we're down to like nine. And they own 85 to 90% of the, the actual wealth in the world. The rest yeah. of us are supposed to get by on the scrap 5%. And you kind of wonder how that works economically. It's not really feasible. So uh, I think things are going to be interesting at some point. Real interesting. Um, yeah. So this is a Stingray story. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want the music? You might as well. <laughs> Stand by for action. We are about to launch Stingray. can happen in the next half hour. Warrantless Stingray case finally arrives before federal appellate judges. A criminal case examining the Fourth Amendment implications of cell site simulators, also known as Stingrays, has finally reached the Seventh Circuit Court for the first time. 
Now one step below the Supreme Court, this case also likely marks the first time that warrantless use of stingrays has reached any federal appellate court. Stingrays um, determine a phone's location by spoofing a cell tower. In some cases, they can intercept calls and text messages. Once deployed, the devices intercept data from a target phone, along with information from other phones in the vicinity. At times, police have falsely claimed the use of a confidential informant while in fact deploying this particularly sweeping and intrusive surveillance tool. The Seventh Circuit Court will now consider a 2013 case known as United States v. Patrick. It involves a Milwaukee man now on on probation violation who was suddenly located and arrested by local police with help from the FBI. There's very strong evidence to suggest he was apprehended through the warrantless use of a stingray. Patrick's attorney, Chris Donovan, filed his opening brief in the appeal earlier this month. The case is so notable that the ACLU and the Electronic Frontier Foundation also filed an amicus brief earlier this week. The organizations note the Fourth Amendment of the United States of the Constitution requires search warrants demonstrate probable cause of a crime. And they note Wisconsin passed a 2014 state law mandating warrants for use of stingray deployment. The advocacy groups argue cell site simulators raise especially serious questions under the Fourth Amendment and at least require a warrant. Use of a cell site simulator constitutes a search for several reasons. First, the device can precisely locate and track people's phones, which requires a warrant for the same reasons that tracking by the service provider does. Second, cell site simulators transmit probing electronic signals through the walls of homes, offices, and other private spaces occupied by the target and innocent third parties in the area, and thereby force phones to transmit data to the government that reveals where inside those spaces the phones are. Neil Richards, a law professor at Washington University in St. Louis, told Ars Technica this type of judicial review is long overdue. The Supreme Court has indicated in recent cases the technology of this sort raises serious constitutional questions. That is why the federal government now requires search warrants before they are used, Richard told ours in an email. The fact that stingrays are now being used apparently to track probation violations reveals the inevitable mission creep in technologies like this, as well as the need for a clear constitutional rules to protect our constitutional rights under the Fourth Amendment. As Richards referenced, last year, both the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Justice, which oversees the FBI, said they would require a warrant during stingray deployments. However, those policies do not apply to state-level enforcement. The case of United States v. Patrick begins on October 28, 2013, at around 12.10 p.m. local time, when Damian Patrick was sitting in the passenger seat of a rented white Chevy Malibu parked behind a house in northern Milwaukee. Unbeknownst to him, he was being watched not only by several local police officers, but by the FBI as well. According to a police report, two Milwaukee Police Department officers blocked the Chevy with their own car and conducted a traffic stop. The officers ordered Patrick and the driver of the car, Terrell Newman, to show their hands. The uniformed cops then opened the driver's side door and ordered the men out. As Patrick exited the car, Officer Thomas Mathoof noticed a semi-automatic Smith & Wesson on the floor where Patrick was sitting. The officers checked their records and found that Patrick had an outstanding arrest warrant for violating his probation. He was promptly taken into custody. How did the Milwaukee Police Department and the FBI magically descend upon Patrick's location? The arrest reports are vague, making references only to an unknown source and prior knowledge. The report says, we obtained information, that would be the police department, to the fact that Patrick wanted on a felony 
probation violation happened to be in that parking spot. Less than a month later, Patrick faced one count violation of federal gun laws. His lawyer filed a motion to suppress the unlawful seizure on the grounds that nothing in the tip was predictive. The officers couldn't have known that there was a reasonable suspicion to seize Patrick. In 2014, the case moved ahead and looked like it was going to head to trial. But one of the Milwaukee cops present for the arrest, all Officer Philip Ferguson told the court in an evidentiary hearing that a law enforcement officer was tracking Patrick's phone. The courtroom disclosure, just a brief moment in the 44-minute hearing, was the turning point for the defense. Patrick's attorney, Joseph Bungie, seized on it after hearing, after the hearing's conclusion. Court records show that the MPD asked for a pen register, a trap and trace, and cell site location information on Patrick's phone. Eventually, those requests were all approved by a local judge, However, it's likely then that rather than relying on local information provided by the witness carrier, the MPD and our FBI stiff, simply sniffed it out of the air with a stingray. Judges are likely to sign off on a pen register application, not fully understanding that police are actually asking for permission to use a stingray. Authorities often opt for pen registers because under federal law, they are granted under a very low standard. Authorities must simply show information obtained from a pen register is relevant to an ongoing criminal investigation. They don't need the probable cause for a warrant. Shortly after the evidentiary hearing, Bungie had to step aside due to a conflict. Donovan then stepped in as Patrick's new lawyer. He began reviewing the entire case file and reached out to the EFF, who provided him with a number of documents, including a non-disclosure agreement between the MPD and the FBI. The use of the stingray baffled Jennifer Lynch, the EFF attorney who co-wrote the amicus brief. I have no idea why law enforcement would decide to use a stingray in this case, she told ours. It looked like the police are using stingrays for pretty minor crimes, crimes that run the gamut. The document, like other NDAs that ours has seen and published, contains this section. Milwaukee Police Department shall not in any civil or criminal proceeding use or provide any information concerning Harris Corporation wireless collection equipment slash technology, its associated software, operating manual, manuals, and any related documentation, including its technical slash engineering description and capabilities beyond the evidentiary results obtained through the use of equipment technology, but not including and not limited to during pre-trial manners and search warrants and related affidavits and discovery in response to court order to disclosure and other affidavits and grand jury hearings in the state's chief case in chief rebuttal on appeal or in testimony in any phase of civil or criminal trial without prior written approval of the FBI. <sighs> Fucking legalese. <laughs> <laughs> that NDA was first obtained and published by Mike Katz Lacabe a privacy activist and former school board member in San Laredo, California. Katz, like AB, had been very active in monitoring and documenting the use of stingrays nationwide. And he went on to obtain a list of 579 occasions when the MPD uses stingray. One of the dates listed there corresponds precisely with Patrick's arrest, October 28, 2013, and simply states related to FBI roundup. I was pretty blown away when I read the NDA between the MPD and the FBI, and the FBI is telling them not to disclose them to judges and prosecutors, Donovan told ours. I'm not even sure the cop on the ground who arrested my client even knew. If they're driving around with these things and scooping up data from every phone in a certain radius, he continued, it's a huge Fourth Amendment problem, and they're concealing that they're doing it. How can there be an oversight if they're concealing they're doing it? There's no doubt the police were dishonest in this case to start with. 
um, as Donovan, Donovan summarized the case, the court ultimately held that the government conducts a search under Fourth Amendment when it obtains and inspects a cell phone user's cell site data to trace the phone user's movements across public and private spaces, thereby discovering the private activities and personal habits of the user. Therefore, the attorney reasons, because the MPD and FBI did not have a warrant to seize Patrick's cell data, the fruits of illegal search must be ordered suppressed, specifically that the gun was found laying at his feet when he was arrested. The EFF and ACLU uh, have also filed another amicus brief in another Stingray case in Baltimore, State of Maryland v. Andrews. In that case, the judge granted the defense request to suppress all evidence the police were able to get as a direct result of using the Stingray and held the use of the device without a warrant violated Andrews' Fourth Amendment right to be free from unlawful searches and seizure, the EFF explained. Maryland prosecutors appealed, and the case is now before the Maryland Court of Special Appeals. If the Seventh Circuit Court rules in favor of Damian Patrick, it would be binding upon the entire federal, federal judicial district that covers Illinois, Indiana, and Wisconsin. Neither the FBI or MPD responded to our technica's query as to whether a stingway was used in Patrick. Prosecutor Bridget Demazic also declined to answer, referring ours to, ours to PACER, the federal court system website. I will be filing a response to Patrick's brief on the electronic case filing system she emailed. The database is accessible to the public at a ridiculous cost because PACER fucking lies, yeah. by the way. Just from personal experience, I know they lie. I've used PACER. I used PACER when the whole Enjoyed case was going through. And it wound up being a very expensive thing to keep track of. Well, the whole the whole Stingray thing. Um, yeah, everyone, and I mean everyone who has a smartphone, uh -huh. should download the software that lets you know when there's a cell site stimulator. Yeah. And there should then be, everyone, there should be a huge database for the public where people can report they've detected a cell site stimulator. Yep. This would completely derail all these... Um, backdoor uses of the device when they're not supposed to be doing it. That's the only yeah. way you're going to get around it, because they're not going to stop doing it. <laughs> no, they're not. They never have. And they're not going to. I mean, we, we have to force it. We also have to make it expensive, and I, I kind of think we almost have to embarrass them. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're reading that, and uh, I've just been uh, re-watching The Good Wife. And mm -hmm. it has all the stuff in it with the NSA... DOJ and all that, you know, with the wiretaps and everything. Mm -hmm. And it's like that, yeah. One department's actually doing the monitoring, passing the information to another department who then use it, but they, but then are legally bound not to say where they got the information from. But it's still it's... admissible in court, even though <laughs> nobody knows where the information's come from. It's insane. Well, it is insane. And it, what it does, in my mind, is it denigrates the work of actual police detectives who used to do this manually. Yeah. It, it's taking that skill set away from people and it's transferring it to a machine. And that machine is violating everyone's privacy. Yeah. How can that be good? I'm, I'm Jamie, just... any thoughts? Go ahead. If... If they are sworn not to say where they got this information from, mm -hmm. shouldn't that, by law, make that information inadmissible? 
you know, it's, it's, Man, I know, I know what's right. I'm not against, right against actions and always getting caught doing actual crimes. And I don't mean for anybody to think that I am. Um, but right. you, you have the right to face your accuser and evidence seized without a search warrant um, is inadmissible. Evidence seized outside of the scope of a search warrant is inadmissible. Um, I would think that the source of their data should have to be presentable in a court of law. And if it can't be presented, then the fruits of that should be inadmissible in a court of law. I mean, well, it's I, a very simple cut and dried thing. Right. Not this whole humongous convoluted bunch of shit that they're <laughs> trying to make it out to be. And the, FD, and the FBI is the leader in the convoluted ring of bullshit. That's mm -hmm. yeah, completely right. They're twisting... They're twisting regulations that are designed to protect yeah, agents so, in the field to cover not, up sources of information. Me, me right. and not them. I mean, the law is the law. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's fruit of the poison tree. Yeah, is what it is, and it's ridiculous. And yeah, you're right. That app, because there is an app that will tell you if there is a stingray in the area. You can show us you on a little map exactly where it is. There's, is there's got to be a freaking WordPress site somebody could set up so you could just pop the location information in there. There are sites you can upload the information to, but there's hardly anyone using them. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, that's got to tell you how absolutely concerned people really are about this, right? Yeah. Their, their privacy is being violated and it's just kind of like, eh. Have you have you noticed how many TV shows are are doing um, stories that involve the dark web now, and they're making the dark web out to be this terrible thing that only <laughs> criminals use for criminal activities and blah blah blah. I'm sure journalists don't use it. People who are Government dissidents don't use it. Um, people in oppressed countries don't use it. Why would they? Because they're perfectly content with their censored content, right? I mean, I think I, just, I think there's a reason that all of these writers are writing these stories about the evils of the dark web, and uh, I think that they're for the sake <laughs> of the story. Of course, um, I think it's for the sake of the story. I also think it's to try to paint a whole group people that use the dark web for whatever purpose with a broad brush um it it takes people like edward snowden uh glenn greenwald laura poitras and and betrays them in a really bad light and those are just some of the well-known people and yet there are tons of people who are using that to seek a way to overthrow oppressive governmental regimes how can that be a bad thing well, I mean, yeah, the worldwide amongst um, investigative journalists, that's what they use to communicate with each other. They have to. They don't have a choice. Yeah. They have no choice. The governments have honed in on them. And you would never hear any serious journalistic 
stuff without the ability to investigate. And the ability to investigate comes through, unfortunately, use of Tor and use of the dark web. Now, I, I, I don't really... Okay, I'll admit, I, I watched The X-Files. That's why last week I was like, the show ends at 8! Because <laughs> I wanted to see it live. Um, and I watch Mr. Robot. But I don't watch enough TV to notice that they're they're trying to participate in something that the FBI calls predictive programming. But, you know, I, I can see that them doing that would be really appealing to the government who really wants to close down on our ability to use the web and how we use it. Not just here, but, you know... The office, the home secretary, and lovely Theresa May. <laughs> yeah. And her fucking snoopers charter. Yeah, it keeps um, getting more bumps, thankfully. Yeah. Well, I mean, and here, and um, all those pieces of cybersecurity legislation they're passing, which are, are no better than anything they tried to pass before, but before we were able to shout it down, and this time it's almost like token resistance was offered so the stuff is passed um what you're going to be left with you want to communicate freely is going to be dark web space and you know yeah there's bad people there but there's bad people everywhere and if you use that as an excuse to block something that helps us know about our world then what are you you're no better than a book burner. No. <laughs> that upset. I'm sorry. I went off. I didn't mean to. I ranted and I was pissed. So <laughs> I'm going to try to get it back on track. Um, yes. I don't think I want to read the Mike Lofgren thing because I think I'm going to start screaming. Okay. Here's a nice happy one. Homeland Security gets more than $1 billion for training but doesn't know where most of it goes. The Department of Homeland Security has failed to keep track of hundreds of millions of dollars for training the workforce for nearly the entirety of its existence, according to a federal report released this week. For instance, Congress appropriated $1.4 billion for Homeland Security training in fiscal 2014, but the department reported using only $1.9 billion. D did I read this last week? Feels like I did. Okay, but I mean, this is... Yeah, this is really new. Um, less than 1% of the obligated funds to the OMB, according to the latest report from the Department's Office of Inspector General. As of August, Homeland Security's financial office could account for only $267.6 million in training costs for the previous year. In addition, auditors found that Homeland Security has not reported any training cost data for several agencies under its umbrella, including U.S. Customs and Border Protection, they probably had to train those guys how to use slingshots after they took their guns away. <laughs> the Federal Emergency Management Agency and the Secret Service. Well, the Secret Service. Well, they're kind of also under the auspices of the Treasury Department. So I'm not sure how that works. Uh, what's more, auditors found major discrepancies in training costs that were reported. In August 2014, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, a Homeland Security Agency, reported to the Office of Personnel Management that it had spent... $23,893 for training. But when the auditors reviewed the CIS data for that month, they discovered that the agency had actually spent 
$435,286 for its training. Meanwhile, the Transportation Security Administration did not report any training costs to the Office of Personal Management for July, uh, sorry, January 2015, but told auditors it had spent more than $23 million for training that month. Federal watchdogs have made 29 recommendations to improve Homeland Security's training management and oversight in the past 12 years, but the department has made almost no progress. The investment of significant resources into these working groups should have resulted in the implementation of improved processes, oversight, and management of DHS workforce training, the Inspector General's report said. However, there is little evidence the DHS has tracked or implemented any of these recommendations. Critics say the report supports what analysts have said for years, that Homeland Security Department is one of the most poorly run in the federal bureaus. The Department of Homeland Security is becoming an oxymoron. In a world where protecting the homeland includes the need for top-level number crunches to track terrorist bank accounts, Jay Johnson's Apple Dumpling Gang can't even account for its own training expenses, said Richard Manning, President of Americans for a Limited Government. Either they are really bad at balancing ledgers, or they spent the money on something different from what Congress authorized. Neither is acceptable, he said. House appropriations need to act immediately to get to the bottom of this failure, as it is, as it is either incompetence or even possibly a crime. Maybe both. For losing track of countless millions of taxpayer dollars in its training programs and ignoring repeated suggestions to improve its management, Homeland Security wins this week's Golden Hammer, a weekly distinction awarded by the Washington Times, highlighting examples of wasteful federal spending. For DHS to fail to implement recommendations to improve training efficiencies for 12 years is almost unfathomable if we weren't talking about a federal government agency, said Romia Boca, a federal budget analysis at the Heritage Foundation. One might conclude that taxpayers must have a nearly endless source of patience if the public, if public choice didn't teach us that the real problem is rational ignorance. Responding to the report, Homeland Security said it is committed to consistent oversight and transparency in order to ensure unity of effort and encourage efficiency, effectiveness, and accountability. Buzzword bullshit. Uh, Homeland Security officials said they plan to strengthen their accounting systems to improve transparency and accountability of training data. Still, the department's inability to keep track of its spending has become such a problem that Congress allocated $53 million in the fiscal 26 budget to help update its accounting systems. Watchdog groups say the problem goes beyond wasted tax dollars and could affect the agency's ability to protect the homeland. The discrepancies in reporting hours is bad enough, but the decade-long failure of the DHS to address the 29 recommendations to improve training efficiencies could directly lead to a less effective department overall, said Curtis Kylan, spokesman for Citizens Against Government Waste. The number one training priority for DHS ought to be how we get it better at paying attention, said Steve Sepp, president of the National Taxpayers Union. If the DHS can't perform this mission well, how can they perform the rest? This is about lives, not just dollars. The badly managed training program also could be leading to a poor work environment overall. Surveys consistently find that Homeland Security Department has one of the lowest employee satisfaction ratings of all federal agencies. A 2014 survey of 40,000 Homeland Security employees found 42% were satisfied with the agency and 39% the department leader said department leaders maintained high standards of honesty and integrity. When President Bush created the DHS in 20, 2002, he promised it would improve efficiency without growing government. But instead, DHS has wasted billions of dollars and is one of the worst managed federal departments, said Chris Edwards, a budget 
analysis at the Cato Institute. DHS has spent billions of dollars on security programs that don't work, while at the same time abusing the civil liberties of Americans. No shock there. Not really, no. It doesn't help when... None, none when, of that is surprising. Yeah, no. I mean, when it comes to their accountancy practices, no doubt there is far too much of the good old, well, we need to spend this amount of money on this secret project. <laughs> So we have to come up with a stupid way of hiding how we're spending the money. <laughs> Therefore, do, loads just the, goes missing. <laughs> couldn't do to the $38,000 toilet seat or the $40,000 screw again, I guess. There is that. contract. Um, the contracts these agencies <laughs> sign are just ridiculous. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, a spa, as you say, a spanner you can buy for a couple of dollars down a hardware store. Mm -hmm. They're spending twenty dollars on, because it's got oh, to come yeah. from that specific supplier. Yeah, who's just but... buying it from the same place the hardware <laughs> store is, but they haven't well, been vetted for security. Well, now what was it somebody was saying? By the time you take a dollar's worth of gas and you drive it around the Iraqi desert, it costs forty dollars. By the time you put it in the gas tank, yeah, that's 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 the government at work. I think we should put them in charge of the Sahara Desert. I want to see if we can actually get to a sand shortage in 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wyoming legislature to consider the right to privacy. Uh, thank you, AP. <clears throat> the Wyoming legislature is set to consider a measure in its session starting next month that would allow voters to decide whether to change the state's constitution to recognize an individual right to privacy. Opponents say the increasing collection of data by private industry and government makes the measure necessary. According to the National Conference of State Legislators, 10 other state constitutions already recognize a citizen's right to privacy. They're Alaska, Arizona, California, Florida, Hawaii, Illinois, Louisiana, Montana, South Carolina, and Washington. The Wyoming legislator, le legislature rejected a similar measure last year. Opponents cautioned that last year's proposal didn't include language specifying that the public would still have a right to view information about government operations. A legislative subcommittee reconsidered the issue after last year's session and came up with the current version. The new proposal specifies that it wouldn't deprive people of the right to inspect public records or observe government operations, except in cases in which the demand for individual privacy clearly exceeds the merits of public discourse. Jim Angel, director of the Wyoming Press Association, said Tuesday that his organization insisted on the added protections in the current version. The Associated Press is a member of the Press Association. After some debate, the committee, I think, wisely agreed that the balancing language was needed in the amendment, he said. So as it stands right now, we support it. It's our hope that somebody won't try to split those two apart. It would take a two-thirds vote by both houses of the Wyoming legislator, Lature, huh, to send the proposed amendment to Wyoming voters for their ultimate decision. Flint Waters, Chief Information Officer for the state of Wyoming, supported the proposed amendment. He serves as a representative for Government Matt Mead, a Republican on the Legislative Subcommittee. A former Wyoming police officer, Water has been recognized around the world for his work in developing computer techniques that scour the internet to catch people trafficking in child pornography. There's quite a bit going on in the change 
in the changes in the ways in which digital technology can gather information, he said. AP published that? For years, the country has operated on the principle that law enforcement had the right to act on evidence that was left in plain view from a public arena, Water said. But now we've got the ability to have technology monitored around the clock, 80 frames a second, numerous location. It kind of changes the game a little bit, he said. Current technology allows automated readers to scan vehicle license plate information and compile data about where people are driving and when, Water said. He said that can have legitimate users, uses for law enforcement. But when that's provided by a company that turns around and sells that data or controls that information, it tells so much about what the citizens are doing that it's time to make a clear statement on how we value the privacy of our citizens. Senator Kale Case, Republican Lander, served on the subcommittee. I think it's good to have an affirmation of our rights that we have in our Constitution that privacy is now one. It used to be implicit, Case said. I just don't feel we have a commitment to privacy in government, and I think we should have one. So yeah, the the personal privacy stuff is important. It's funny where you are. The the two sections are fighting at the same time. Where you have <laughs> people try to push through the personal privacy stuff mm-hmm. at the same time that your government is trying to do away with it. I know. Whereas over here in Europe, we already had the privacy bit, and now the government's trying to <laughs> cut back on it. Um, yeah. So you're you're. Your, your, some of your states are so far behind. Yeah, they're both happening at the same time. It's I know. <laughs> well, I mean, just because I say we're United States doesn't mean that different places in it don't run almost like a different country. Yeah. I mean, actually, if you if you looked at this country and you actually looked at what secession would look like, this country is actually four countries. Basically, you could take and split it four ways and have four completely different countries in the United States. It's it's really quite interesting to look at it in that way. Which, yeah, I know I went off. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, let's see. I slammed Homeland Security because they suck. I slammed the Associated Press's editing. Um, okay, if you go near the Super Bowl... You will be surveilled hard. Super Bowl 50 will be big in every way. 100 million people will watch the game on TV. Over the next 10 days, 1 million people are expected to descend on the San Francisco Bay Area for festivities. And according to the FBI, 60 federal, state, and local agencies are working together to coordinate surveillance and security at what is the biggest national security event of the year. The DHS, the agency coordinating the Herculean effort, classifies every Super Bowl as a special event assignment, rating SEAR1, with the exception of the 2002 Super Bowl, which got the highest ranking because it followed the September 11th terror attacks, an assignment usually reserved for only the presidential inauguration. A who's who of agencies ranging from DEA and TSA to the U.S. Secret Service to state and local law enforcement and even the Coast Guard has spent more than two years planning for the event, all of which means that if you're attending the game or just happen to be in the general vicinity of the myriad of events leading up to the Super Bowl, you will be watched closely. The festivities started Saturday and run through February 7th when the Carolina Panthers meet the Denver Broncos at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara. Here's a sampling of the technology Big Brother can use to surveil you during the Super Bowl in the Bay Area. 
the watchers. Coordination is the key. The San Francisco Bay Area is a big, dense place, and the Super Bowl festivities stretch from the stadium in Santa Clara to the streets in San Francisco. SFPD isn't giving officers any time off. The FBI and Santa Clara police have spent months running drills in and around Levi Stadium, cribbing from and improving upon tactics other cities have used when hosting the big game. Major cities throughout the Bay Area spent the fall preparing for the madness and have established coordination centers throughout the area. We gather intelligence, we share information. Why does this sound like a fusion center? Says Michelle Ernst of the FBI. We have our own joint operations center. We have other joint information centers in San Francisco and Santa Clara, and we're working hard to make sure that information is shared. It's a collaborative effort. Okay, I have a question. Yes. I have to interrupt you because this, this question begs to be asked. Okay. Do you think maybe if we had less fucking departments <laughs> that collaboration and the sharing of information would be a little fucking easier? <laughs> That's at 60, correct? Yes. 60 different organizations. Yes. For a fucking football game. Now, God granted, it's a big football game, but it's a fucking football game. Mm-hmm. The fact that we have 60 separate organizations <laughs> out there that are collecting their own information tells me that it's very probable that when and if something does happen, they're going to say, well, they didn't tell us. Well, we didn't know that. It, well, they knew that, but we didn't know that. Oh, my God. All right, I'm going to shut up now. No, no. Now no, I'm pissed. I haven't even read to the bad parts. Yeah, well, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Um, um, officials would not disclose exactly how they plan to keep tabs on Super Bowl 50, but privacy experts agree. Given that this is an all-hands-on-deck effort, law enforcement almost certainly is using all available technology to ensure everything goes as planned. The Bay Area is already packed with surveillance equipment installed by the government and private businesses. The hardware includes an array of cell phone surveillance devices, Stingray, video cameras, automated license plate readers, and most recently, social media monitoring software. Northern California law enforcement is always on the cutting edge of new surveillance technologies, says Matt Cagle an attorney with the ACLU of Northern California. With the Super Bowl in town, I would not be surprised if many of the technologies that law enforcement agencies have purchased with federal grants are taken off the shelf and used. Northern California law enforcement, <clears throat> of course. Of course, the FBI and DHS and an alphabet soup of other agencies are bringing their own equipment. Not that they're saying anything about it. We're not able to speak on the technological side of what we have, said Officer Abel Esperanza of the SFPD. The NFL isn't talking either, though they'd like you to. The, the basic bottom line, Officer Esperanza added, is that our best eyes and ears are the public who come and participate. If someone sees something, we are asking people to say something. <laughs> 60 fucking organizations, but they still want you to do the job. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. Oh, boy. Still, public records provide some insight into the gear Bay Area police use and the surveillance equipment and software feds use. Here is what we know. 
tracking your car. As the government pointed out back in 2014, automatic license plate readers are fairly ubiquitous in Bay Area law enforcement. You find them on utility poles and mounted on police cars. The devices can, as the name suggests, read a plate and record the location, time, and date. The data is stored in a database, allowing law enforcement to track where you drive, how often, and how long you spend at a particular place. Over time, that information can reveal details about where you live and work, where you worship, romantic relationships, and other things. Authorities collect this information without a warrant, regardless of whether or not you're under investigation. The devices are found in cities nationwide, including Santa Clara, as well as San Francisco, Oakland, Mineo Park, and San Jose. Tracking your face and body. If you're going to the Super Bowl or will be in the Bay Area the week before the game, you'll almost certainly be photographed or recorded by cameras that are monitored or accessible to authorities throughout the region. Transit agencies and the like have cameras, of course, and there are private security cameras everywhere. A study last year counted more than 3,000 cameras in one San Francisco neighborhood alone. Many of the people who own those cameras willingly register them in a police database to make it easier for law enforcement to access the feed. If you're at the stadium on game day, be sure to smile because you're being filmed and all those cameras are linked directly to the police. Yet it's unclear exactly how that footage is accessed or where it's stored. Considering the FBI is a major player in security around the Super Bowl and information sharing is priority number one, it's worth noting the FBI has been working on building a large facial recognition database that the agency was hoping to have populated with 52 million images by 2015 including, according to documents obtained by the EFF, images taken in the field. With all these cameras out there, and since we don't know the limits of information sharing between agencies, the data could be subject to FBI biometrics technology. There's no reason to actually think it won't be. Tracking your phone. Barry Police Departments own plenty of fake cell towers designed to track your phone. Trick, well, track your phone. These devices, often called stingrays or IMSI catchers, mimic cellular towers, tricking phones into linking to them. Law enforcement can identify cell phones within range to track their location, access metadata about who, who and when you text and call. They can go so far as to capture the content of your text and voice calls. A state law passed in October requires state and local law enforcement to obtain a warrant and provide notice to the identified targets before using a cell site simulator. However, the law doesn't apply to federal agencies within California. If there's a state actor involved, they should be getting a warrant for sure, Cagle said. Wherever there's a state-federal partnership between law enforcement, there's a possibility the feds are going to want their own equipment. Given the extremely heightened state of security around the game, Cale notes it's likely that the feds will make use of stingrays when they can. The interesting thing here is the DHS and FBI both have policies for the use of cell site simulators, that require warrants, but these policies are full of loopholes, and one of the loopholes is that there is a national security exception for the warrant requirement. The FBI now has the technology and policy in place for how they are allowed to use it. They will use the technology to the edge of the limitation of that policy. Even San Jose Visitors Bureau plans to collect cell phone data to determine where people stayed and where they went. Where all that data is processed, all of this data is almost certainly processed in a fusion center, a linchpin in about any massive national security coordination effort in the U.S. The Bay Area happens to be home to one of the nation's largest fusion centers, the Northern California Regional Intelligence Center. Coordination is the name of the game here. Under the direction of the DHS, fusion centers facilitate intelligence sharing between federal, state, and local agencies, from the NSA and the FBI to the local police. 
all in the name of preventing terrorism. The DHS coordinates all the fusion centers, and that's definitely where a lot of data collected in the Bay Area will flow. These centers support the National Suspicious Activity Reporting Initiative launched in 2008 to document observed behavior reasonably indicative of pre-operational planning associated with terrorism or other criminal activity, commonly referred to as see something, say something. But suspicious activity is broadly defined, and critics say it often amounts to profiling, stereotyping, with the potential to link innocent people to a so-called nexus of terrorism, which the program is designed to ferret out. Don't want to be watched? With deadly terrorist attacks in Paris and San Bernardino in such recent memory, law enforcement is taking no chances with this game. If all the surveillance in the name of security makes you uncomfortable and you'd rather not have your face, car, and cell phone activity tracked across the Bay Area, you have only one option. Don't go anywhere near the big game. Oh, yeah. It is... Yeah. As said, yeah, the, the amount of surveillance equipment is going to be astronomical. What concerns me is it's going to be quite easy soon for terrorists to cause a huge stir and a huge um, response from all these different agencies without actually having to do anything violent. All they'll need to do is pick an area and set off a large EMP pulse <laughs> that cuts out all the monitoring equipment and everybody's cell phones. It'll cause just chaos. But you can imagine what the armed response is going to be to that. And there'll be nobody there for them to shoot at. Because when you start relying on this technology heavily, that's it. It just takes one one area to go dark, as it were, and they're just going to panic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I can see that that's going to start being a... An option for terrorists now. They won't actually well, need to shoot anybody. The yeah. government will do it for them. Because <laughs> they'll, they, they'll cause disruption to the government's monitoring. And the agencies will just go bananas. Yeah. I, um, I agree with you. Um, it's, oh, shit. Mod hit the keyboard. Sorry, guys. I'm sure that was really loud. Yeah, This might be one to watch that for as well since it's in San Francisco which has lots yeah. of really really high tech companies and lots of employees that know how to build stuff like that <laughs> and it just takes somebody who's very liberal and doesn't like data monitoring to do this <laughs> it doesn't actually be, have to be a violent terrorist and that's going to and that would end up being an absolute disaster because yep. they they will go you know, screaming off in a tangent, and well, and I mean, and they'll cause public panic, and mm-hmm. yep. people will get hurt. People uh, will get hurt, but then people will be more convinced than ever that it's time to sign away more of our rights. Yeah, yeah. just take the Constitution, take a big crap, wipe your ass with it, as long as the government protects me from the big bad terrorists. And especially, like you said, if they had a big enough EM pulse where the phones were affected, my god, you want to see Zombie Nation come to life. Yeah. And, yeah, EMP pulse technology is not hard to build. You just need big magnets, basically. Well, and when, oh, god. And For all, god's sake, stop telling people this shit. <laughs> when, it's, when it's all over and done with, you know, when it's all said and done, 
and people have been hurt um, in in the panic. Um, you know, our I don't believe that our federal government would ever come out and say, well, no one was actually in danger. Yeah. Because they have programmed people to panic. I mean, they seriously have. They have programmed people to panic over things. Yeah. Um, and so there would be a panic and people would get hurt. And they would never come out and say, well, we found out that nobody was really ever in any danger. Because that doesn't fit the the mold okay. that they're trying to stuff us into. Yeah. Well, I mean, haven't you noticed? So just be bad. You're not you're not really hearing about Ebola anymore, but you're hearing all about that new virus, the World Health Organization, Zika yeah, or something, is it? Zika. Yeah. Zika, that's it. Yeah. That's going to make every pregnant woman have a deformed child, and now they want to release these genetically modified mosquitoes. Which, hey, whatever. Um, you know, no, not whatever. <laughs> Wait, well, no, whatever. But. I, I'm not going to get into it now. It's it's almost time. It's it's in fact it's it's uh it's past time for Alex. But I'm not going to get into it now. But um, haven't you noticed this is like a front state front page front stage story now? Like yeah. Ebola is not killing quite as many people, so we're just going to pretend it's not happening. And now we're going to talk about this. Well, they I want think, you I to think, be. Uh, they want you to be afraid. John talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I said, "Oh look, look, the next panic." Yeah, they want you to be afraid. And that's what's they, happening this week. <laughs> they want you to be afraid. The more afraid you are, the more malleable you are, the more open you are to the suggestion of losing your rights. And freedom didn't mean that you were going to be absolutely safe. That's all I've got to say. And now it's probably time for Alex. Okay, I shall try and find him. Good evening, Alex. Good evening. Good evening, and welcome to the CASA update for the week of 2-1-2016. Hi, Alex. What's new and exciting this week? <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> good. I'm good. Um, all kinds of things are new and possibly exciting. <laughs> um, so, since we last spoke... Uh, Kassah has released a few calls to action. Um, <laughs> just a few? <laughs> just a few. Actually, no, literally just a few. Okay. Um, uh, there's, there seems like there's stuff kind of piling up and waiting to be dealt with. Um, obviously, there are lots of bills that we're monitoring and uh, uh, getting emails from people uh, a little bit more regularly. Hey, did you see this? Hey, did you see that? Uh, which is which is great. Thank you for yeah. sending those. Um, I, I we, you know, no matter how hard we try, things slip through the cracks. So it's great that people are paying attention. Um, mm -hmm. But let's see. I, and of course, I'm I'm often like doing a couple of other things at the same time here, so <laughs> I, I don't have all of this stuff loaded up and in front of me. Wow. Um, but fortunately, we have this handy website. Um, <laughs> Um, so, let's see. Oh, did I even do a call to action for that? <laughs> there's, uh, there's a few. Like, so, th here's what happened at the end of the week. Okay. Uh, New Mexico is looking at a pair of tax bills. Okay. And, um, 
it's it's really this is what's confusing me here. So I don't think we actually published. It's not on our blog. I feel like I did spend an awful amount of a, an awful amount of time on New Mexico at right. the end of the week. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this up just so I can confirm that I'm not going crazy. Okay. As soon as my mouse decides to cooperate. Um, okay, New Mexico SB seventy seven, and that sure does look like a full blown call to action. Um, can you can you still hear me? Hello. Yes, yes, we can hear you. Okay, cool. Um, so, Senate Bill seventy-seven. This would enact a sixty-six percent excise tax on tobacco products, um, and of course, uh, they would be redefining tobacco products to include e-cigarettes. Um, this is a lot more reasonable than the other bill. Um, I believe that was SB4, um, or maybe I'm getting that mixed up with the amount of money they want to impose. Um, well, I mean, am I, am I yeah, still here? Yeah. yeah, you're still here. You're still okay, here. Okay, cool. I'm listening. For, for some reason, it keeps dropping out, and, and normally I can hear the background noise, but it keeps going away. I, um, I was I was typing. Sorry. So I, I oh. muted. <laughs> Sorry. Well, well done. <laughs> um, so the other um, New Mexico bill, yes, it is SB4. SB4 would enact a four cent per milligram of nicotine tax on e-liquid. Holy crap. Just to give you some numbers, uh, if you are at 18 milligrams and you buy a 30 milliliter bottle, the additional tax on that bottle would be $21.60. Jesus. That's, uh, uh, that's buy steep. one, pay for two. Yeah. <laughs> that's that is, is not, that is not a deal that you'll see on the coupon clipper. Um, okay. so, uh, yeah, but so, and this is New Mexico too. Their legislative session runs for like 30 days this year. Um, so, these bills kind of came on and got pulled off of the agenda for mm -hmm. two different committee hearings last week. Um, the the four cents per milligram of nicotine bill was a bill that got <clears> – <throat> that's an outrageous tax, by the yeah. way, under anybody's uh, – under any circumstances. Um, so that, that bill, a, a similar language was defeated last year. Um, we're not really all that concerned about it. But – um, you know, despite the lessons learned in places like Washington State, uh, who had a, a similar per milligram mm -hmm. uh, type of tax, uh, and then it, you know, once they realized just how ridiculous that was, that quickly got changed. Still, people are introducing bills like that. Um, <laughs> so, and of course, I don't know if it's just sort of a way to make a sixty-six percent excise tax seem more reasonable. Um, but uh, <laughs> so that's that. Anyway, yeah. So that happened at you know Thursday, Friday last week, and okay. uh, and uh, again we're, we're in the this is the lightning round. It's one of the lightning round states, so things are <laughs> going to move pretty quickly. Um, yeah. And uh, so we're monitoring that. And um, anybody, I think we opened that up to the entire state. I don't know why it's not on our website. I'll have to fix this. Okay. Um, 
but uh, yeah, New Mexico. Um, I will take care of that. Okay. So that was New Mexico. The okay. other one, Oregon. Um, Oregon mm -hmm. is looking at a hearing on Wednesday, February 3rd. That's this Wednesday. Um, and this is HB 4062. Uh, so enact a 50% tax on the retail price of vapor products. So that's all, all consumers get to pay for that one. Um, <laughs> again, that's just, that's ridiculous. That's... Um, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and try to work out the math on that one. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and we have this set up so that if you live in a district represented by someone on the committee, we're asking you to send an email, please. Right. Um, this is the first hearing for this bill. This is the first step in the process, or technically, I think the second or third step, but um, there are other opportunities to engage. So if it gets much further and the threat becomes more apparent, uh, we will likely open this up to the rest of the state. But for now, okay. we're trying to be nice. Mm -hmm. um, this is our strategy <laughs> right now. Uh, raise a little bit of awareness, get people in the districts engaged, and um, let the lawmakers know that this is a bad idea and give them an opportunity really to you know do the right thing mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know how I don't know how well that strategy works all over the world, but <laughs> we're giving it a shot here yeah. um, and we have uh, Vermont is looking at an indoor uh, vaping ban this would include h171 would include vaping in Vermont's workplace smoking prohibition, otherwise nice. indoor clean air law, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I did actually make a mistake on this call to action and I have yet to correct it. Um, <laughs> I, I'm actually not terribly motivated to correct it. Um, but, uh, it, there was some, uh, differing of opinion as to whether or not the public was actually going to be allowed to present testimony at this hearing. I believe mm -hmm. you're welcome to attend, but there is no indication that they're accepting comments from the public at this time. Ugh. Um, it's probably one of those things where they're, you know, they may be discussing the bill, they may be work sessioning it, whatever. Right. Um, but they're just not ready for public comment. Um, so, uh, that's that you're still, I think, welcome to contact the committee assistant for information, um, okay. about when to expect the hearing to happen. Uh, there's no hard and fast time here. It's just 15 minutes after the floor adjourns in the afternoon. Um, <laughs> okay. so that, yeah, I mean, you, you I, certainly <laughs> you can call this person and say, Hey, when do you think that's going to be? Um, I, I don't know if that's going to be helpful. Um, right. And uh, who knows if a bunch of people are calling the committee assistant saying, I really need to show up and share what my experience has been. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that in itself sends a message to the committee that, hey, we need to rethink this. Um, right. So I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there as a suggestion. That's not actually what our call to action is about. Uh, <laughs> at the moment, we're just asking people to send a message to the committee. Right. So if you live in Vermont, and um, this is different than the other two that I mentioned, this is open to the entire state of Vermont. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of, we don't have a very big presence in Vermont. Right. So 
um, uh, it, it would be great if everybody who likes vaping in the state of Vermont took action and participated and get themselves uh, entered into our email list so that we right. can alert you as this bill progresses and potentially other threats. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> um, I did just have my coffee, so if I'm if I sound really awake right now, <laughs> I you feel sound more really awake, awake than I feel. <laughs> ah, so uh, we got Vermont, we got Oregon, um, the Alameda County Board of Supervisors are back in the news. Um, uh, Supervisor Nate Miley again uh, <laughs> has reached out through his staff. Uh, one of his staff, Bob Swanson, has been, uh, he is, you know, a vaping success story himself, was a smoker for a long time and switched to, switched to vaping. Um, and I think he has done a lot to educate Supervisor Miley on the issue. Mm -hmm. um, so it's good that we somewhat have an ally out there in Alameda. Um, and they are looking at a, uh, an ordinance. This, this meeting is tomorrow. Um, uh, it's at 10:45 Pacific. Um, they're looking at an ordinance. It's a, a tobacco license, tobacco retailer licensing ordinance, mm -hmm. and uh, the language actually says the unincorporated areas of Alameda County. Okay. So, uh, tobacco retailers, vapor shops, and so on would be required to get a tobacco retail license. Uh, issued by the county, and this, of course, is an effort to um, keep them in compliance with age restrictions and so on. Right. Um, but the argument here is that uh, it's not fair to include vapor retail shops in this tobacco licensing scheme. Right. Uh, there is, I believe, I haven't seen the language for it, but I believe there is a competing ordinance um, that would make a separate category for licensing vapor okay. retail shops. Mm -hmm. um, so if you live in Alameda County, um, please check out our call to action. You should have got, uh, should have, should have received an email from us this weekend. Um, but uh, you can check that out on our local alerts section. <laughs> Getting busy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yep. This is why you actually have the job title. Poor Alex. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what it said on the contract, but uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's what we call you privately. Yep. Um. So what's coming up this week? Oh God. Um, I'm not going to give away any details because I don't <laughs> think we're ready for it. I'm not trying to be cryptic. <laughs> I just got this through kind of our working group channels. Um, okay. everybody pay attention to Utah. Um, okay. there are, there's things generally happening there every year. Oh, yeah. Um, but <laughs> this week in particular, uh, by the end of the week, there should be some news out of Utah. Okay. Um, the other thing to bring up, I am actually working on a newsletter that we hope to have out this week. It might take mm -hmm. a little bit more time. We're refining some things. Right. Um, but since this is the beginning of the month, maybe this is a good time to mention a couple of the places that 
Kassa is going to be. Um, uh, Julie and I, I know, I think Brian Carter might be coming, I'm not sure, uh, to Vape in the Sun in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, that's the event being put on by uh, by Will Cohen from okay. VapeAvet. Um, I believe generally this is a fundraiser for VapeAvet. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe VapeAvet is is the vaping community's only nonprofit organization, um, and they they do a wonderful job and for a very wonderful cause. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we're actually very proud to be a part of uh, Vape in the Sun. Um, yeah. And it's in Phoenix, Arizona, so it won't be for me. It won't be you know the Northeast, which is actually it was mm -hmm. quite nice today. But who knows? It's February; <laughs> it could get cold and miserable pretty quick. Yeah. Um, and then in uh, the next week after that, that's the nineteenth. Is that actually the nineteenth, or is it the twentieth and twenty-first of February? Um, okay. I know that I'm going to be there on the nineteenth. So the twentieth and twenty-first of February. Uh, and the week after that, uh, we are going to Vape Fest in Las Vegas. Okay. That is the annual event put on by the National Vapors Club. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there's one that's, more thing, actually. Oh, uh, that is. Is that you and Julie, right? Yeah, Julie and I are going. Uh, again, I'm not sure if Brian is coming out. Uh, Brian Carter uh, is. Uh, uh, I'm going to mess a, up his title. He, he, is our he, scientific communications officer? Is that is that the I, right title? He's one of our science people. Yeah. <laughs> not not Carl, but he's one of our science people, who's also very very intelligent. We're very lucky to have him. I don't yeah. I don't know about job titles. I, look, I gave you the job title of poor Alex. Yeah. So, <laughs> not putting that on the business card, but um, <laughs> that's that's accurate. Um, <laughs> So yeah, Brian Brian Carter uh, has been a, a very valuable member of of, of our board, um, yeah. and uh, is a very nice guy, and will likely be traveling to some of these events as well. So if you happen to be in Phoenix, Arizona, or Las Vegas, uh, the last two weeks of February, uh, please stop by and say hi, um, and, uh, and yeah, that'll be great. Awesome. Hey. Sounds like you're going to get to go to some nice warm places. Yeah, in February. I have family in Las Vegas, so um, I'm actually going to turn that into an extended stay and, and visit. So that'll be, that'll nice. be good. Yeah. It's yeah. cool. So I think, I think, I think, I think that's it. I know that there was an issue in um, Rhode Island that I was looking at. I know that some of the Rhode Island vapors have kind of gotten their own thing going mm -hmm. um there is i don't know how far this bill is actually going to go um right. so it's uh it's kind of hard to gauge just how threatening things are but um this is i, I, I i'm bringing this up because it's a good example of the craziness okay that's out there um it's senate bill 2107 and it is a, uh, I guess, I, in my list, I have it, it, the parenthetical is propaganda. Um, <laughs> so this is a, this bill would require tobacco retailers to display signs that say, it's the typical stuff about smoking, warning smoking 
does all these horrible things to you, but it adds in and electronic cigarettes. So, so it's if you read, disingenuous. It's a it's a bald lie. Yeah. Um, if you read the sign, it says, "Warning: Smoking cigarettes and electronic cigarettes contributes to lung disease, cancer, heart disease, stroke, and respiratory illness, and during pregnancy may result in low birth weight and premature birth." Um, I, I don't know about the second one. I really don't know about the first one, but I'm going on seven years vaping, and my health's never been better. So, just throwing that out there. Yeah, I, I, I don't think they recall, might be a tad bit freaking wrong. <laughs> yeah, I don't recall any definitive studies, anything really that is saying that that electronics, that vaping will give you lung cancer, any of this stuff. Um, yeah. I, obviously, I don't think advising pregnant women to use electronic cigarettes is the best course of action. Um, And I'm sure there are this are would be similar warnings about nicotine replacement therapies. Um, I I think that doctors normally just recommend you quit altogether when you are pregnant. Uh, I am not a doctor, so we're not going to go down that path. Um, (laughs) But the rest of this bill and this is something that we're seeing. This is another one of those examples of, you know, just sort of indiscriminately folding vapor products into existing tobacco laws or smoking laws. Um, is that this requires another part of the sign to direct people to uh, stop smoking services or information. Uh, and, and specifically, you would have to provide information about. The, in, the health impact of electronic nicotine delivery systems and direct people towards the reto- resources available for those who would like to quit vaping. Um, what resources are available for people who want to quit vaping? Don't I, most people, don't, don't most, and, and I know a couple of people who've stopped just giving away all their stuff and kind of faded away out of the community. Uh, and you know what resources they used? One day I woke up and I didn't feel like vaping anymore, so I'm selling off my gear. Yeah, you know, it's sort of one of those if it if it's if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like if vaping was what you use to quit smoking, yeah. then I mean <laughs> vaping is probably what you're gonna use to stop vaping. Vaping, exactly. I, I mean it's you know, you you've gained back that control over consuming nicotine you know, more of as a choice than as something you feel an intense craving that you can't really avoid. I did see how maybe inelegantly I danced around using, not using the word addiction there. Yeah. Um, I don't think it, I don't think it applies, but I mean, I think that bill in Rhode Island's actually really dangerous. That's, that's completely dangerous. That's, Almost as bad as like the Alaska thing and the California thing that their departments of health have put out. I mean, that that is almost as bad. Yeah, it's. Oh, yeah, there God. was there was some bills in Texas that we were sort of grappling with last year. Um, it, it's 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 been a frequent thing, and it's it's a hard issue to tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, I I don't. Uh, yeah, it's 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 one of those complicated language things, and uh, yeah. So anyway, and I think that legislatures actually may be recognizing that these are kind of absurd. And you know, another point to bring up is maybe I, I shouldn't because I, I don't know if I'm going to articulate it in 
a very good way in five minutes, but, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, things like this, statements like this, I think erode, it it erodes the public's trust in public health. I I mean, you're saying something that is actually ridiculous. Well, it's not even ridiculous. A lot of this is outright lies. Yeah. I mean, I, I... yeah, it does. It it erodes the public's trust, not only in public health, but it erodes the public's trust in their scientists. Yeah. And their doctors. That's 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 the best thing I can say about this bill. And the best thing I can say about the courses that I think some of these legislators have taken. Um, it's they're hurting people. <laughs> they're actually going to hurt people with this. I'm actually, I'm actually kind of excited that we got all of that out yeah. <laughs> in under two minutes. So yeah. Yeah. there you go. Yeah. That was good. Good. <sighs> is, awesome. is... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, for the moment, for the time being, that's all I have for this week. Um, okay. And uh, I expect a little bit more excitement towards the end of the week. Oh, boy. And, um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we'll check back in next Monday and see how awesome things got all right thank you for everything you do for us alex and have have a nice night um and i will try to stop calling you poor alex it's all right (laughs) good night thanks good night bye see you next week yep okay um are we now at the part of the podcast where i can lose my shit well, can I have a rant now that Alex oh. is off? As long as oh, yeah, go ahead, because I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of us are going to join in. Go right ahead. Okay, well, now that the CASA update is over, I, I have something that, that I bitched about on Facebook that I want to bitch about on here. Okay. I belong to a lot of different advocacy groups, a lot of different uh, vape groups and whatnot, okay? Um, and... In one of the Canadian groups, somebody put a post up the other day that completely and totally pissed me off. Um, They were having a shit fit because all of the different advocacy groups and the different um, lobbying groups and such in Canada Mm -hmm. weren't doing something about this kid that vented his shit in his face. Okay. That these advocacy groups should have been, you know, all these different organizations should have been demanding that these manufacturers include warnings and and just, I mean, all kinds of just ridiculous, stupid shit. Okay. Jan, yes. what does CASA focus on? Consumer advocacy. Yes. And, and, and the focus for that is, is getting moronic legislature legislators to know what vaping is what vaping isn't and why what they're proposing is sheer ignorance correct yes you're very very busy doing that correct yes how the fuck do people think that you should now all of a sudden be policing manufacturers in china who Aren't, one, aren't going to listen to you. Okay. Number two, 
the, the device that this, and by the way, this kid was 16 years old, and no, he should not have had it. No, right. he should not. Right. But he bought it secondhand. So it wasn't oh, even... for God's purchased. sake. Yeah, it wasn't even purchased in a yeah. shop. Have you got the feeling that a lot of these kids who have their crap blow up in their face watch that idiot who... You remember who I'm talking about, Barry, the guy who was always using his the towel mods. Guy. Yeah. The towel guy who was was venting mods in the baby's room in his house when he was yeah. freaking... Yeah, that dickhead. That, right. that asshole. But, yeah. But this is like that. Now, unfortunately, this is a 16-year-old kid, and I don't want anybody to get hurt, okay? I don't want anybody to get, get injured by a by venting battery, mm-hmm. all right? But the reality of the situation is that this kid whose father knew that he bought this thing. Right. Yay, Dad. Um, <laughs> I, I just, it pissed me off to no end that this person thought that it made perfect sense for them to be railing against all of the groups out there that are fighting to keep vaping alive. To say um, that, that they should be going and doing all of this stuff that wasn't going to change the situation to begin with and had nothing to do with their mission statement of advocacy at know, all. I, I, was, I, I was just livid. Yeah, I, I kind of I, I kind of think at some point parents got a parent. Um, I don't as as speaking as myself and and not as a Kassab board member, I, I don't think I would particularly want to be involved in any sort of advocacy groups that felt like they needed to nanny my child or the decisions that I made for my child or or whatever. I I just there are things that are family business, you know what I mean? That I have no say in what you do in your house behind your closed doors and and adults. Um, are supposed to want that. Um, and apparently uh, some people who rally against the government trying to take away their right to vape are, are perfectly fine with imposing restrictions on others, and that is unfathomable to me. That's all I'm going to say. Well, um, we've had something similar over here. We've got consumer organization. It's... Mm-hmm. It's updated, it's changed, so at the minute it's the new Nicotine Alliance. Right. And it's mainly doing advocacy. Of course. And you do have these idiots who are saying, no, no, you shouldn't be doing any of that advocacy, you should be just concentrating on product safety and everything. And in the UK it's even more ridiculous because we have... But how many agencies have you got regulating e-cigarettes right now there's like 12 and yeah. seven are well, involved with products 17 safety. pieces of legislation and it's enforced in the uk right by trading standards yeah who are supposed to monitor the mm-hmm. market on all consumer goods and you know pop get rid of dangerous ones take them off the market right. and they do that except of course there's been a recession and the government's cut back all our funding and they've got less they're do, able to do less than they used to. But right. you do have these idiots on forums going, oh, well, yeah, New Nicotine Alliance, you should just you should concentrate on 
on on product safety and warning people, and it's like that's not uh, their job. Somebody always knows it is their job, do. but somebody, in it, the bigger risk is the legislation. Somebody knows how to do your job better than you all the time. That yeah. will and always sure. be the case, no matter what your job is, whether it's advocacy or nursing or dealing with idiots in a grocery store. There's always going to be some moron out there that knows how to do your job better than you do. That's kind of what I chalk this up to. Yeah. Well, and I think very probably read the post, but I mean, and part of this post was that, you know, well, they dropped the ball and they could have, they could have done press releases on this, that there, this shouldn't have happened. And I'm like, what the, f- what? I think I'm only a member of like what? free vaping groups on Facebook and, and two of them I took over when my friend died and, and they're not really popular and I stopped adding people to them. And I mostly just stick news in them so they don't get taken over by spammers. Um, so I I don't get exposed to all of this weird craziness you do. So I rely on you guys to tell me this stuff. And um, I don't think I'm missing much. Not really, no. No, not really, no. Because, I mean, and all I could think was you seriously want them to take time that they are dedicating right now to educating the people making the laws and and making vapors aware of things that that are the greatest threat to them right now you want them to take time away from that to put out a press release <laughs> on a 16-year-old kid venting a device you know there's there's it was that by Canadian law Jan now wait time out by Canadian law, was illegal for him to have. Well, then, so, wait, okay. Um, so, has anybody ever read the blog Free Range Kids? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I just thought I would bring that up and, and ask. Because um, if you don't give children the chance to do irresponsible, stupid shit when they're teenagers... They're going to grow up into whacked out adults is kind of my my theory here. Well, I mean, you do you do have to, I mean, all advocacy organizations need to pay attention to this kind of shit. But yeah, but only if, you if it only if to it's every... you can't respond to everything. No, but because no. I remember in the run up to the TPD vote, mm-hmm. loads of the aunties started um, saying lots of shit about the dangerous <laughs> devices. Oh yeah. So I. In the UK, I put people who are much smarter than me. I'm just good with Google. Um, <laughs> I gave them the links for the RAPEX reporting system for Europe, which reports all product recalls and problems in the whole of Europe. And in that, in in a 12-month period, there were three reports about e-cigarettes and about 300 to do with bikinis. <laughs> You know, here's the Which thing. Which just puts it into scale for people. Well, you know? what really should put it into scale for people is, why doesn't anybody talk about the girl who charged the cell phone under her pillow that almost blew her head off, or the guy yeah, talking yeah. on the phone? Wait, why didn't anybody talk about this stuff? We want to talk about how batteries are, are dangerous, and, and they are. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. The more I, I learn about lithium polymer batteries, the more scared I am of dropping the fuckers. <laughs> Um, because they're inherently unstable in that way. Okay, yes, they I don't are. know 
don't want to balance that up against their, right, but that's well, I need to have my phone with me while I'm standing in line at Walmart. Well, what do you mean? I have to be able to answer a telephone call while yeah, I'm I have to, to be McDonald's. answer a phone call and well, like people, maybe blow yeah, my head off while I'm at McDonald's. That, you know. that is the one at the minute, tablets and cell phones. Yeah. A lot of which have just as much battery power on board as yep. an, an e-cig does. And yes, it's just as likely to vent yeah. when used properly. Because mm -hmm. it's the same technology. So <laughs> it's not Michael... magically safer just because it was made by Apple. No, <laughs> Michael Morris asked in the chat, instead of sensationalized, e-cigs are deadly. Why doesn't the media take the opportunity to teach battery safety? Um, oh, he's got a good point. Uh, in mm -hmm. the UK, all the, all the battery fires thing, it's come from the our fire department the equivalent of our fire department right all the departments whenever there's one of those incidents reported in the press and of course the journalists ask the fire guys mm -hmm. what happened and now in all the reports it all comes down there's always a little bit from the fire service user, telling user people error. about battery safety <laughs> so well, it's happening I, here now yeah. um, well i mean here's but, the thing yeah. you can there's a lot, a lot of information. Battery University is a great place to go. Yeah. Candle Power Forums, great place to go. If you want to know how to handle these things safely. Yeah, lots of the radio control model yeah. sites. Yeah. Right. There is tons of information out there. It's compiling it and getting it into a list to release as a, a press release. And, and, you know, maybe that's something that could be done under the auspices of say all of the groups but I don't know how you'd coordinate it and I don't think everybody even agrees on on every part of battery safety out there I mean oh god no you know you just need to go to candle power forums and read it and go yeah. eh, some of these people are insane um yeah. <laughs> well because they're always arguing I mean and see know. and insofar as battery safety we we can even go beyond that um did, did I tell you my my tablet charging fiasco? No. Did I ever tell you that Cisco built a mod and the first time I vaped on it, it vented in my mouth? Ooh. I bet, I bet nobody knows that story and you know why? Because it didn't matter. Yeah. Wasn't user error. Wasn't anything he did. It was just down to the brand new batteries being defective. And yeah. guess what? It happens. Yeah, well, when, when you make millions of things... There's going to be a few dodgy ones. No, this was one of the first things Cisco ever made. No, I mean, yeah, no, but the battery, like the battery right. is a oh, mass-produced yeah. unit. They have yeah. a failure well, I mean, rate. And the other problem is, how do you know the batteries the person was using aren't counterfeits? Because there's been yeah. a rash of them how many times now? <laughs> Every week. If right, and we're better informed. We, we, as the consumers, not members of a consumer group out here, are better informed to help people with battery safety than any of the groups. And I'm not saying that to be rude or anything. There's just so much information. Everybody picks up a little bit. Well, I mean, the, I easiest, think... the easiest safety tip for batteries in the universe. If it's a battery, don't buy it on eBay. <laughs> that's the first, that's <laughs> yeah, a very simple that. rule. Yeah. You well, cannot I, trust this goes, anything. This goes even beyond the battery because yeah. my tablet, I read on my tablet every night. Okay. Um, and so my tablet charges up on top of the headboard 
of my bed okay. when it needs to be charging. Mm -hmm. Well, I was reading one night and um, my tablet was not charging at all. It wasn't plugged in. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm reading and all of a sudden I heard this little pop. Just a little, little pop. Pop? Like, yeah. Okay. And immediately following that, I smell electrical. Burning electrical. Was and, it your charger? And, yeah, yeah, yep. They're notorious for that. You can unplug them yeah. all the time when you're not yeah. charging. So, so in along with, with battery safety, <laughs> um, I, I don't think that it's, you know, too awful much that of a stretch that we need to tell people that um, your chargers whether they be for your cell phone or your 10.1-inch tablet, as in my case, or they're for your e-cig batteries or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, if a charger is plugged in, um, folks... It needs to be charging. Drawing juice. And yeah. if it's not, it needs to be unplugged. Well, it was, it was mentioned, <laughs> I mean, that, it was mentioned in chat earlier. Yeah, capacitors, they're dangerous. That's yeah. usually the bit that causes that problem. The capacitor fails, pops, and produces mm -hmm. an awful lot of heat. <laughs> well, because a lot of these batteries will only input low-voltage DC. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's being converted from high-voltage AC. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there's capacitors in there to balance out the, the voltage. <laughs> and, yeah, capacitors go pop. <laughs> yeah, it happens. It's just, it's just electricity. And yeah, I, I, I feel back to Jeannie's original rant. I feel yeah. bad for the kid this happened to. I feel bad for the person in Florida this happened to. I feel bad for where was it? Mexico. There was another incident. I, I feel bad for all the people this has happened to. I feel really bad. Okay, but. Nothing is without risk. Nope. There is nothing on this earth without risk. Walk out the door tomorrow, get hit by a bus. You know, you don't know. So all you can do is minimize your risk. Living is a form of harm reduction. Because if it weren't, you'd be fucking dead. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I just, I don't know how you can balance wanting the freedom to do what you want to do with with <laughs> rallying against somebody else's freedom that just makes no fucking sense to me i don't get it well i just i didn't understand the logic behind you know you you want these groups to jump out there and say what you want you want them to go out there and say that the kids shouldn't have had it. You want them to go out and say, "Well, the battery was shit, or the device was shit, or or what exactly? What the fuck do you want them to say that is going to be positive for us in any way? What exactly? <laughs> really, seriously, come on. Well, and, um, and and what really what really gets your goat is. When the advocacy groups do 
do a release like that, which has happened. You know, there have been product recalls and warnings about fake batteries, for instance. Mm-hmm. And advocacy, advocacy groups have put out releases to do with that. You have the other group of people that then complain, what are you doing that for? <laughs> you know, you can't make everyone happy. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, yeah. That's what I get out of it. Oh. Well, I guess at the end, what I want to say is thank you, Kassah, for being a straightforward advocacy group, focusing all your time and attention on advocacy. It's, it's much appreciated. Thank you for, for <laughs> not wasting the donations that you are given on things that are not advocacy. Yeah. Yeah. What? Well, if, if we manage, if we ever manage to get it done, dusted, and settled, e cigs are accepted, there's decent regulations, then the advocates can switch to all the consumer side. But they mm. can't at the minute. It's as simple as that. <laughs> They're busy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, the politicians have made us busy, 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 busy. Um, people. I kind of uh, got to regret that I did leave last week quick enough to see the X-Files, but I didn't get to see Lucifer. Oh, yeah, I've, I've, still, I've still got to watch both, actually. Yeah. Oh, I like Lucifer. It's good. Yeah. I liked. I liked when they were, when they leaked the pilot. It was yes. Oh, the pilot awesome. is hilarious. Yeah. yeah, it was very good. So. But yeah, I'm I'm probably going to be watching those tomorrow. Actually. <laughs> yeah. No. No. My DVR set for tonight, so I'll be watching that later. Okay. Um. Since we went and wrote everything completely off the rails, let me just. <laughs> Let me just check what I put out for the show release and and see what I said I was going to talk about so I can make sure I covered all that before we just drop into chat mode. Oh, Vigilant Solutions and the Internet of Things. Oh, boy. Okay, so I'm at the Internet of Things. Okay. Nest thermostat goes from Internet of Things darlings to cautionary tale. From the benefit of dumb devices department. Back when the Nest thermostat was announced in 2011, it was met with waves of gushing adoration from an utterly uncritical technology press. Much of that gushing was certainly unwarranted. Nest was founded by Tony Fidel and Matt Rogers, both former Apple engineers who indisputably designed an absolutely gorgeous device after decades of treating the thermostat as an afterthought. But the company also leaned heavily on some of the same media acupressure techniques Apple historically relies on to generate a sound wall type of hype potentially untethered from real life. Courtesy of marketing and design, Nest slowly but surely became the poster child for the connected home. Over the last year or so, however, things have changed. And while now Alphabet, which is Google, if you ever want to read something fun, there's something on the internet which gives you a list of everything Alphabet is involved in. Alphabet-owned Nest remained an Internet of Things darling. The unintended timber of the message being sent is decidedly different. For example, Nick Bilton recently wrote a piece for the New York Times noting how a glitch in the second generation of the supposedly smart product drained the device battery, resulting in numerous customers being unable to heat their homes just as a cold snap hit the country. The Nest Learning thermostat is dead to me, literally. Last week, my once beloved smart thermostat suffered from a mysterious software bug that drained its battery and sent our home into a chill in the middle of the night. 
Although I had set the thermostat to 70 degrees overnight, my wife and I were awoken by a crying baby at 4 a.m. The thermometer in his room said 64 degrees, and the nest was off. Again, that's the poster child of the so-called smart device revolution, failing utterly to complete a task thermostats have been successfully accomplishing for a generation. Other tech reporters like Stacy Hagen Botham reported the exact opposite, as in her nest began trying to cook her family in the middle of the night. Something Nest first tried to blame on her smart garage door opener, then tried to blame on her jawbone fitness tracker. Nest never did seem to pinpoint the cause. Her report suggests that an overall culture of arrogance at Nest, shockingly, isn't helping pinpoint resolve bugs. One Nest partner who declined to be named to preserve his business relationship with the company said that Nest being quick with the blame didn't surprise him, citing a culture of arrogance at the company. When something went wrong during integration testing between his device and Nest's, problems were first blamed on his servers and teams. And fast forward to last week, when researchers putting various Internet of Things devices through tests found the Nest thermostat was one of many IoT devices happily leaking subscriber location data in clear text. With Nest, it's only the zip code, something the company quickly fixed in a patch. Granted, Nest is not alone in being an inadvertent advertisement for a product's dumb alternatives. In 2016, smart tea kettles, refrigerators, televisions, and automobiles are all busy leaking your private information and exposing you to malicious intrusion or worse. It's a fascinating in-progress lesson about how our lust for the sexy idea of the connected home appears to be taking a brief, brief pit stop in reality, where sexy doesn't matter if the underlying product person or device remains inherently dysfunctional. As a result, dumb and ugly technology is poised to make a dramatic comeback. Um, well, yeah, yeah I mean, my, my thermostat doesn't require any electricity at all, but my yeah. heat on the other hand does. A thermostat doesn't need any power to work as such. They've been around since the early 19th century in regular use. When they didn't have electricity. So, yeah, <laughs> it's not exactly complicated technology. Um, you know, the original old-fashioned mechanical uh, thermostats work fine. They have yeah. two layers of metal that expand and contract at different speeds. This mm-hmm. causes it to the material to bend yep. and touch electrical contacts. It's not complicated. There's I, nothing I, wrong with it. It's really I think good. People would be <laughs> surprised at the amount of homes in the country that don't rely on a thermostat, period. Um, If I want my house warmer, I walk over to the stove and I turn the feed rate up. If I want my house a little cooler, I walk over to the stove and I turn the feed rate down. Uh, Um, I've used the heating in my flat twice this winter so far. And yeah, it's cold, so I go and push the button and turn the heat on. Then when I'm warm, I push the button and turn it off again. Really complicated. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, the Internet of Things, I don't understand why it all has to be connected. They're talking about putting chips in comforters now. Why? Yeah. Why? There's no need. You know, my... my my blanket does not need to be talking to my refrigerator, which is 
writing an email to Google. You know what I mean? Well, None of this go. shit I've needs had, to happen. I've had a quick look on, on Wikipedia, good old Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. First recorded example of thermostat were control was a Dutch innovator, Cornelis Drebbel, around 1620 in England. That was a Mercury one, but yeah, they were... Mercury ones can be a bit odd. And the first, as I say, dual material one was 1830s. There you go. Yeah, yeah, it re- yeah, it really didn't work very well until Nest came along. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I keep saying I think I'm a Luddite. And in a lot of ways, I really, really am. I mean, how very how many years did it take me to get a really smartphone? Ooh, this year, yeah, I got a smartphone. I went years without one, and you know, I've got a lot of stuff on there. That um, I've got the IMSI tracker on there. <laughs> I've, I've got a lot of. You know, there's there's a way to open Tor on there. There's there's a lot of, and none of the things I'm doing, on the internet are are particularly nefarious or creepy or strange. I just think I'm entitled to have some privacy while I'm surfing. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I don't think the Internet of Things is a good idea. I mean, I I don't think. I don't think we're ready for it. For one thing, and and for another thing, I don't think it's necessary. I don't think there's a need for it. I don't think my comforter needs to talk to my shoes, needs to talk to my phone or my toaster. I don't think any of those things have anything yeah, I, in common, I, I, and then there's no need. I don't, I don't no want need. those things to be smart and be able to communicate because they'll just bitch about me behind my back. <laughs> God, I'm just saying. Okay. It's like I, I'm worried. Why? <laughs> I I woke up and I think my fridge and my cooker are conspiring against me. <laughs> yeah. It sounds really weird, but it, it has nothing to do with that. It has more to do with, you know, you are a product now, right? Yeah. I mean, you use Google, and you leak information. And then you post a link, and that leaks information. And then you get a quantum cookie, and you never fucking get rid of it, and it constantly leaks information. And then there's a backdoor in your computer, and that's leaking information to the government. Then it's it's endless. It, well, data is the new currency. I remember I had and, a problem. And you should be scared that yeah. it's your data that's being used like money. Go ahead. I, I remember having an argument with uh, Skype's customer service uh, not that long <laughs> ago, actually, a couple of months back. There's a problem with my Skype. I wasn't receiving any new updates. Mm-hmm. Their suggestion to fix this. Oh, let us remote into your computer and see if we can get it working. Nope. And it's like, <laughs> that's never going to happen. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you tell me how to fix, if I need to fix something, and you go look at your, your end. But none of this... Oh yeah, we need to get into your computer too. No. No. (laughs) Exactly. There's a reason why I've turned off all the remote connection stuff on my operating system, thanks. Uh, (laughs) Because I don't want people coming in and messing about with my computer. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Um, Exactly. Um, I'm going to talk about something that kind of makes me nauseous. 
next. Before you so. do that, Jan, I have to tell you, I have to bail on you. Okay. Say hello to your husband and your son and have a really good night. Thanks, I will. It's very, very seldom that he is home in town during the week anymore. So go, go, go. All right. Have, bye, have a good night. Have a good night. Jeannie. Bye, Miss Jeannie. We're not done. Uh, <laughs> we're not done here. Um, but Jeannie had to go. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're going to talk about vigilant solutions. Okay. I'm not happy. I am not happy. A private company has captured 2.2 billion photos of license plates in cities throughout America. It stores them in a database tagged with the location of where they were taken and it's selling it. That's, that's the very brief thing and, and we'll get into it in a little bit. Throughout the United States, outside private homes, apartment complexes, shopping centers and businesses with large employee parking lots, a private corporation, Vigilant Solutions, is taking photos of cars and trucks with its vast network of unobtrusive cameras. It retains location data on each of those pictures and it sells it. It's happening right now in nearly every major American city. The company has taken roughly 2.2 billion license plate photos to date. Each month it captures and permanently stores about 80 million additional geotagged images. They may well have photographed your license plate. As a result, your whereabouts at given moments in the past are permanently stored. Vigilant Solutions profits by selling access to this data and tries to safeguard it against hackers. Your diminished privacy is their product and the police are their customers. The company counts 3,000 law enforcement agencies among its clients. 30,000 police officers have access to its database. Do your local cops participate? If you're not sure, that's typical. To install a GPS tracking device on your car, your local police department must present a judge with a rationale that meets a Fourth Amendment test and obtain a warrant. But if it wants to query a database to see years of data where your car was photographed at specific times, it doesn't need a warrant. Just a willingness to send some of your tax dollars to Vigilant Solution, which insists that license plate readers are unlike GPS devices, RFID, or other technologies that may be used to track. Its website states that LPR is not ubiquitous and only captures point-in-time information. And the point-in-time information is on a vehicle, not an individual. But thanks to Vigilant, its competitors, and license plate readers used by police departments themselves, the technology is becoming increasingly ubiquitous over time. And Supreme Court jurisprudence on GPS tracking suggests that repeatedly collecting data at a moment in time until you've built a police database of 2.2 billion such moments is akin to building a mosaic of information so complete and intrusive that it may violate the constitutional rights of those subject to it. The company dismisses the notion that advancing technology changes the privacy calculus in kind, not just degree. An executive told the Washington Post that its approach basically replaces an old analog function, your eyeballs, adding, it's the same thing as a guy holding his head out the window, looking down the block and writing license plate numbers down and comparing them against a list. The technology just makes things better and more productive. 
By this logic, Big Brother's network of cameras and listening devices in 1984 was merely replacing the old analog technologies of eyes and ears in a more efficient manner and was really no different from sending around a team of alert humans. The vast scale of vigilance operations is detailed in documents obtained through public records laws by the New York Civil Liberties Union. Last year, we learned that the NYPD was hoping to enter a multi-year contract that would give it access to the nationwide database of license plate reader data, the Civil Liberties Group announced Monday in a blog post linking to the document. Now, through a Freedom of Information law request, the NYCLU has obtained the final version of the $442,500 contract in the scope of work proposal that gives it a peek into the ever-widening world of surveillance made possible by Vigilant. The NYPD has its own license plate tracking program. It nonetheless wanted to access Vigilant Solutions database as well, which means, the NYLCU notes, the NYPD can now monitor your car, whether you live in New York, Miami, Chicago, or Los Angeles. The NYPD has a long history of spying on Muslim Americans far outside its jurisdiction, and both license plate readers and the information derived from them have already been misused in other jurisdictions. More abuses seem inevitable as multiple additional communities adapt the technology, some with an attitude expressed with admirable frankness by an official in a small Florida city, we want to make it impossible for you to enter Riviera Beach without being detected. <clears throat> Washington is accelerating the spread of the technology. During the, the past five years, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security has distributed more than 50 million in federal grants to law enforcement agencies ranging from sprawling Los Angeles to Little Crisp County, Georgia, population 23,000 for automated license plate recognition systems, the Wall Street Journal reports. As one critic, California State Senator Joe Stiltman asked, should a cop who thinks you're cute have access to your daily movements for the past 10 years without your knowledge or consent? I think the answer to that question should be no. The technology forms part of a larger policing trend towards infringing on the privacy of ordinary citizens. The rise of license plate tracking is a case study in how storing and studying people's everyday activities, even the seemingly mundane, has now become the default rather than the exception. The Wall Street Journal explains, cell phone location data, online searches, credit card purchases, social network comments, and more are gathered, mixed and matched and stored. Data about a typical American is collected in more than 20 different ways during everyday activities. 15 years ago, more than half of these surveillance tools were unavailable or not in widespread use. Nor are police the only ones buying this data. Vigilant Solutions is a subsidiary of a company called Digital Recognition Network. Its website declares all roads lead to revenue with DRN's license plate recognition technology. Fortune 100 financial institutions rely on DRN solutions to drive decisions about loan organization, servicing, and collections. Insurance providers turn to DRN solutions and data info into insights to mitigate risk and investigate fraud. And our vehicle location data transforms automotive recovery process substantially increasing portfolio returns. And its general counsel insists that everyone has a First Amendment right to take these photographs and disseminate this information. But as the ACLU points out, 
a 2011 report by the International Association of Chiefs of Police noted that individuals may become more cautious in the exercise of their protected rights if expression, protest, association, and political participation due to license plate readers. It continues, recording driving habits could implicate First Amendment concerns. Specifically, L. PR systems have the ability to record vehicles' attendance at locations or events, although lawful and public may also be considered private. For example, mobile LPR units could read and collect license plate numbers of vehicles parked at an addiction council meeting, doctor's office, health clinic, or even staging areas for political protests. Many powerful interests are aligned in wanting to know where the cars of the individuals are parked. Unable to legally install tracking devices themselves, they pay the next best alternative, and it's gradually becoming a functional equivalent. More laws might be passed to stymie this trend if more Americans knew that private corporations and police agencies conspired to keep records of their whereabouts. Yeah. Not happy. No, it's uh, it's not good. Now, yeah, because of where I am, completely different over here. Well, you, we had, you're constantly that we're we constantly surveilled. Was, right, but we live but, in public was actually about the UK. Go ahead. Yeah, the um, here basically not long after the internet was invented, Britain brought in a data protection act, and companies can't just go around sharing data on you or your vehicle. Now here. A lot of the number reading technology is done by a private company. Uh, funnily enough, I used to work for them, but not the branch that did that. And they do the CCTV cameras and everything as well. And mm. they record all this data. But the only people who are legally allowed to look at it are the police, so they can't sell it on to third parties. And there have been cases in the UK where, it was mentioned in that story, a police officer keeping track of somebody's movements for personal reasons. Yes. There's been cases of that in the UK. And the police person I can't, there was one case in Edinburgh when I was living there of a WPC woman police officer who was mm -hmm. looking up information on her neighbour. She lost her job and went to jail. That's how seriously they take it over here. So yeah that's the linchpin. It's not the fact they're doing it, it's the fact in the US they can sell the data wherever they want you're unaccountable, yeah. that's the problem Yeah. you know it, you can say it's illegal and their people go to jail, here people don't even realize there's a fucking problem or an no. issue it's not even, and I tell you about it or I tell someone else about it and they'll go really and they'll get outraged for 30 seconds and they'll forget all about it yeah. but Here's the thing. At some point, Very and Jeannie and I would love to retire <laughs> from this. We don't want to do this forever, right? We want you to know about this stuff so that you have some say in this. Don't yeah. you want to have some say in what happens to your information? Yeah, I mean, Europe and the U.S. are complete opposites. I mean, Thomas, who listens all the time, knows this. In Europe, very data protective. Governments can't, and companies can't just collect data and do whatever they like with it. But yeah, in the US, it's 
your legislation has been so skewed towards the corporations that basically they can do whatever they want. And it's not until there's huge public outcry that laws are brought in to curb them. And that's wrong. You know, <laughs> you should yeah, start in the strong position and Yeah. No, you shouldn't have to fight from the back. Yeah. Um all that is ever required of anybody is to make a loud noise. Make a noise loud enough to be heard. Because there's always going to be someone around you who also doesn't agree with what's going on. And if they see someone else with the courage to stand up and say something, then someone else will come along too. And before long, everyone who's really outraged or really feels upset about it will also be saying something is wrong. Yeah. It's all, all that's needed is that one loud noise. It can be done. It can be done by everybody. I, you know, it doesn't require any great skill or anything. It requires talking to people. Your well, neighbors, like, your like friends, say, your family. Like I say, you know, having somebody like the, it need it need to be somebody like the Electronic Frontier Foundation, ACLU, people like those. Yeah. Come in and start pushing people to do things like you know, the MC app on smartphones to report yeah. all the the cell site stimulators. Yeah. People to keep a dot, and this happens in the UK. I don't know about other countries, but you can go to a website and see where all the speed cameras and number print cameras and everything are. And mm -hmm. there's databases of that in the UK. If you you can go and look at if you're going somewhere for a visit, you can literally you can go up and you can go on one of these websites and they'll tell you where all the cameras are. <laughs> the police hate it, but there's nothing they can do about it. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's kind of in the interest of fairness, and yet you have Theresa May. Yeah. And the Snoopers Charter. And they're guilty of the same magical thinking that the idiot who's the head of the FBI is guilty of. Yeah. When well, they it tell must him, be possible. Uh, yeah. It mm -hmm. must be possible. A backdoor can be built into these things without violating people's privacy. Well, no, it, it can't. Um, every, t every time we have a conservative government, funnily enough, they keep trying to uh, chip away at things like the Data Protection Act. Um, with things like the Snoopers Charter. I mean, it's not the first time they've tried it. <laughs> Thatcher tried it as well, but it didn't work. Um, you know, here's, here's the thing. I don't think it it's conservatives or, or liberals or, or any of that. I think it's the size and the scope of the government. It's too fucking big. I think government should be scaled down to do what it needs to do to protect you and to help you if you need help. But it shouldn't be big enough to bully you. It shouldn't be big enough to steal your money or steal identifiable things about you that you post on the internet. None of that should be possible. And I think people really don't understand that when you don't pay attention to what they do, they just get bigger. It's like feeding a monster. Well, yeah, I mean, they're doing it more and more recently, but it's the sneaking in their nasty legislation yeah. hidden in with other legislation. Or indeed, yeah, what what the Conservative government in the UK keep trying to do. <laughs> You'll have noticed this in the last week or so in the news. The Conservatives try to sneak another couple of bills through um, attached to something else that had to be voted on. <laughs> Yeah, and it well, got, they do it through, here all the time. got to the Lords, and the Lords went, no. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I, I, you know, the government always says that the biggest problem is, you know, all the money they spend taking care of the poor. That's a fucking lie. Yeah. The biggest problem with the government is that it gives handouts to big businesses, doesn't expect them to pay taxes for it, will go to war well, to protect their corporate interests, and spends a shitload of money on defense without expecting the people well, the, to kind of get something yeah. back. I mean, you'll know, you'll have seen the reports, but yeah, the, the Google settlement with the UK government, Yeah. yeah, that's causing the British government a lot of problems. <laughs> three percent tax over a ten-year period. Really, really, you think that's what Google should be paying? Yeah, there's a lot of people, yeah, very angry about that over here, and quite rightly. Them. I don't I mean, blame them. It's tax time, right? So loads of people have been handing in their tax forms, and it's yeah. all over the Facebook and UK now. There's loads of people going, "Well, I'll just not pay my tax and offer them three <laughs> percent." Because if Doesn't... Google can do it, why shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous that this is an issue. And we've talked about before what happened when here in the United States, the government started hollowing out. It was right after the second Bush was elected for the first time. The government started hollowing out, um, digging out all these federal offices and then making all these positions where nobody involved in the government knew how to do these things they wanted done. Yeah. So they filled these positions with contractors who were basically accountable to no one. Yeah. The government, in essence, created a hollow man. And right now, the hollow man is driving the car. And we're all passengers in it. Yep. It's not a place you want to be. You don't want to be in the passenger seat. Well, the I mean, back, back to car. one of the earlier stories, the Super Bowl with its 60 agencies in attendance doing security stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, a lot, of the, a lot of the people involved in that will be private contractors. Yes, they will. And most of this surveillance data will not be made, pub, uh, not be made public. <laughs> it will not be passed to the other agencies. It will be sold on for to corporate interests. And that's the scary thing. This is thing. the traffic flow going to and from <laughs> X. This is how many people walked up to this stall. This is how many people who did this, etc. Yeah. That's what most of that surveillance is going to achieve. It'll have nothing. It'll have no impact on anything to do with terrorism whatsoever. It's. Um, yeah, I. We talked about Mike Lofgren's The Deep State before. Yeah. I actually got the book. I got the book today, and I'm just starting to read it. Um, by the way, when I talk about The Hollow Man, The Hollow Man is The Deep State. Um, I highly recommend there's a video from Bill Moyers where Mike Lofgren talks about The Deep State and how it came to be. Um, right now, whether you realize it or not, the elections coming up, pretty much a referendum into how the deep state has changed how we live. And I'll just like leave you with that thought, I guess. So, I don't know. Is there anything? Do you, do you want to talk about anything? Yeah, no, I'm okay. You're okay. I'm okay. <laughs> um. Then, 
I can't, th- I, I gotta tell you, there's nothing else in this document I want to read tonight. Okay. <laughs> I find it all kind of depressing, but um, I really think it really does all come down to make a big noise. Yeah. Make a big noise. Enough people have to complain enough for it's it to your, make a difference. It's that it's simple. Your, it's your government. It's your life. It's your money. Um, stand up and take ownership of it. Say something. Let them know you don't like what they're doing. You know, eventually there'll be a groundswell. I hope. Um, advert. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Amoseek.com. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a great night, and we'll see you next Monday.